So remember this. I will do everything in my power to protect our LGBTQ citizens. Well, that was then and this is now. No matter how hard the White House tries to get rid of us, we will not be erased. Trans rights are human rights. People who are uninformed about trans issues see uh, protections for trans people as like special rights and everything, but it's not, it's not anything special, you know? It, we want the same rights as anybody else. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So why can't we just be more polite? I mean, some Emily Post wouldn't be a bad thing for those thugs who interrupted and spoke crossly to Senator Mitch McConnell on policy matters while he placidly ate Cuban food with his wife, Elaine Chow, the other night in Louisville. Wait, we interrupt this broadcast on rank incivility to talk about another matter altogether. The Secret Service on Wednesday said it had intercepted packages containing potential explosive devices intended for Hillary Clinton and former President Barack Obama. It's also possible Clinton's and Obama's spouses were potential targets. And as I speak, CNN's offices in New York have also had a report of an explosive device and have been evacuated closing down part of the city. And of course, this comes on the heels of the torture and dismemberment and beheading of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi at the Saudi embassy in Istanbul. But Mitch McConnell, I want to make it clear that the incivility shown Mitch McConnell at Havana Roomba and Louisville will not stand, whereas the bombs sent to Clinton and Obama and CNN, well, that was probably caused by economic anxiety among the white working class due to automation. So to recap, speaking out at Havana Roomba and tossing McConnell's doggy bag of leftover ropa vieja is uncivil. And just stop it, you Democratic mob, where the assassination attempts on journalists and past presidents, well, that's just righteous anger about the media and Hillary Clinton's, what was it again? Her shrill voice? Today, we're talking not about civility, but about civil rights, and in particular, the memo at the Department of Health and Human Services that aims to, as the New York Times puts it, define transgender out of existence. My guest to talk about this is reporter Caitlin Burns, who covers federal policy for Rewire.News. We'll be back with Caitlin in just a minute, but first, the tweets. Hello, Trumpcast. So excited to be back with these phenomenal tweets. America, the cleanest air in the world by far. Today's Democratic Party would rather protect criminal aliens than American citizens, which is why the Democrats must be voted out of office. Brian Kemp will be a great governor of Georgia. Stacey Abrams will destroy the state. So important. Get out and vote for Brian. The fake news media has been talking about recent approval ratings of me by countries around the world, including the European Union, as being very low. I say, of course, they're low because for the first time in 50 years, I'm making them pay a big price for doing business with America. Why should they like me? But 
I still like them. Big night in Texas. Okay, I just can't decide between beautiful Ted or Texas Ted. Well, I do like Texas Toast. Texas Toast, Texas Ted, that's a good one. And beautiful Ted, well, that's a winner right there. Joining me from Slate's D.C. studio is reporter Caitlin Burns, who covers federal policy for Rewire.News. Welcome, Caitlin. Thank you for having me on. So the Times headlines in the past two years have been at times perplexing, at times fascinating. There's often a lot to read into them, especially because we expect that the headlines are the only thing in many cases read, packed a certain visceral punch. And the headline is transgender could be defined out of existence under the Trump administration not pulling any punches. How did that headline hit you as a trans person and as a reporter? Well, first of all, I appreciated the sort of blunt honesty of um, the Times headline because a lot of times they'll they'll do some sort of Orwellian news speak with the news or, or trying to translate some of these really ridiculous Trump policies. But, you know, the headline really nailed the policy for me, you know, just from from... Uh, the perspective of a reporter who um, who covers federal policy, you know, if you define everybody as either either male or female, and it's immutable based on genitals of birth, then therefore trans people like literally can't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciated the fact that they honed right in on on that fact and really made the case to justify the headline with the article, which you don't always see with a lot of media coverage of trans issues. It also put the word transgender in quotation marks. Um, So pointing to the fact that this is a very, this is a linguistic exercise. Mm -hmm. There's a high level of semantics in the parsing of the word sex and gender. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be a move by um, the Department of Health and Human Services to well, first of all, invoke science mm-hmm. um, as their as their uh, ground for all their policies, and second, to really reset a definition of sex under Title IX. Mm-hmm. Tell me exactly what this move is. Yeah. So um, basically, uh, the the legal case the Trump administration seems to be making is that. When Titles Nine and Seven were passed, you know, by past Congresses, they included the, you know, uh, protections based on sex. But they're arguing that um, the Congress never intended for that to protect trans people in the first place. Um, so that's sort of the boiled down argument that the Trump administration is making. But the, the issue with that is that. Dozens of courts over the years have uh, disagreed with that assessment um, because everybody has a sex, right? And it doesn't matter if you're cisgender or transgender or non-binary or whatever. Like, everybody has a sex and everybody has a right to be protected on the basis of sex. But there's no way to me that um, somebody can discriminate against a trans person without taking into account their sex, no matter how it's defined. If you want to call it immutable at birth, you know, fine, you still can't use that to determine whether or not I should get a job or whether or not I should be allowed public, you know, access to public accommodations or health care. 
you can't just render the trans community sexless because you don't like how courts have determined their sex. From a legal argument, that's sort of the the dueling sides, and you'll see these arguments pop up again when this goes to litigation. Give me an example of someone who might, if transgender is defined out of existence, mm-hmm. someone who might find his, her, their um, rights abridged under this new definition. Right. So the, the easiest example to make on this is, um, so most workplaces have a dress code, right? Mm-hmm. Under these rules, it appears that employers could demand that that their employees dress in a way that's very stereotypical to their birth sex, um, mm-hmm. their assigned sex or birth, excuse me. So you can imagine a setting where someone was dressing in a way that seemed to contradict their the their genitalia at birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and what would that be? Like a jacket and tie for someone assigned female at birth? And that could potentially be banned and that would be allowed because sex is now defined as the right your genitalia at birth Um, it just seems very difficult as you say Mm -hmm. that just redefining the word sex and incidentally we should point out that it's it was it's already been interpreted to mean who you have sex with your your Mm -hmm. sexual your i guess what used to be called your sexual identity you know the lgbt Q part of the, yes. part of the letters. So the way the courts have ruled on the the sexual orientation front is that men should only be you know in relationships with women was considered a sex stereotype. So mm-hmm. and sex stereotype is also banned under under Title Seven and Title Nine, and that goes back to uh, Price Waterhouse versus Hopkins. I think back in the early eighties, and and that case was a cis woman who worked in the financial sector and she wore, you know, pants and a blazer every day. She did not wear like dresses or skirts, you know, spoke in a very gruff manner, like not considered stereotypically feminine. And Price Hopkins like flat out told her that she couldn't be promoted because she didn't fit what their idea of, a, you know, a woman should in the workplace should be. So there's a long case history um and it's not just the rights of of trans people that are in danger with this. Honestly, more people should be concerned where this is all headed in the future because of sex stereotyping. Discrimination gets overturned. Uh, it's it's going to be a disaster for everybody. All right. So you're transgender yourself, Caitlin. Mm-hmm. And just to get a little personal, if you don't mind, how's this impacting you or people you know and care about? Yeah. Uh, none of my friends are doing well right now. Um, including myself, like um, I, th- I thought that I could deal with this by throwing myself into work, uh, especially on Monday with the the rally in front of the White House um, and a press conference at the Human Rights Campaign, and I got done with both of those things, and I just sort of emotionally collapsed, um, which is fairly unusual for me. You know, if I focus on on work, I can usually power through whatever it is, but it's it's really hard to separate my job as a reporter from sort of my humanity as a trans American. And it's really sort of scary. You know, I have a lot of friends researching how to apply for asylum in other countries, which is just sort of a ludicrous thought for a citizen of the United States. But at the same Wait. time, like, why not? <laughs> I was working on a piece about Senator Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota and her first political act. And it turns out many women in the late 70s, first political act 
as girls was to ask petition to get to wear pants to school, public mm-hmm. schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is it is interesting to me how much of this is about clothing and self-presentation. Mm-hmm. And there's some cultural anxiety about syncing up your style with your genitalia. There's something almost gothic about the how intrusive it is. I mean, libertarians can't take kindly to this. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, I actually wrote a, a rare opinion piece for me because I'm typically a news reporter, but my editors gave me the leeway to sort of express my opinion because this issue um, affects me so personally. And I essentially made a libertarian case for trans rights in the piece that published yesterday. But I want to make sure that we backtrack a little bit and yeah. uh, just note that like being trans isn't really a closed thing. When I walk around down at the Capitol, I'm just there like any other woman. It's not really a closed thing. It's mm-hmm. just my existence as a woman. And I think, you know, we're getting to a point where the government is really broken if they can't accommodate you know, the way that I live my life with things like official ID or mm-hmm. healthcare coverage or whatnot. There's no other demographic that can that is asked to like out their private medical history just by showing an ID. And the end result of this Trump policy would be anybody who sees my ID would instantly know that I'm trans or anybody that sees me go into a men's room would instantly know that I'm trans. And in a society that really... <laughs> That's a long way to go in accepting that. That puts me and every other trans person in a very dangerous position. And it's really troubling to me that the government would intentionally do that, although it's also very unsurprising. Because of the tsunami of lies that constantly come out of the White House, there is some commitment to finding the thing that gives the lie to all the things you hear, just as an anti-gaslighting measure. It's the same with the presentation of President Obama's birth certificate, that there must be something in the world that shows you, you know, an intelligence report or the photographs of the inauguration, that there must be some piece of empirical evidence, right, that gives the lie to these things. And I think that's what Elizabeth Warren, who felt that her family story had been constantly pushed back on by people who know nothing about it, mm-hmm. wanted to do with this, you know, by getting a genetic test. But as you say, it opens the door to all kinds of what we used to call essentialism. Right. That your, uh, you know, your identity rests in some either microscopic or quite visible part of your body. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of Mengele because mm-hmm. it's an invocation of science, which is, you know, the left has claimed for itself to talk about identity that is meant to be a measure of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I think we need also need to be careful in especially this trans policy in like ceding the field to, to the Trump administration on science, because I think the vast majority of the sci- science community, scientific community disagrees with the assessment that mm. sex is determined by gender. If you go online, there's quite a few biologists who said, look, you know, this stuff is more complicated than it appears. And I saw that um, I don't have the name of the organization off the top of my head, but it, it was like the largest organization of uh, U.S. anthropological a biologist came out and said, look, like, gender is diverse. It's always been diverse. Like, trans people have pretty much always existed in some form or another. We might not have had the language for it, but, like, it's not a policy based in science. 
in the least. And and I think we need to be careful with things like genetic tests to determine sex or, you know, racial IQ is another one that sort of mm. um, gets, it's sort of quote unquote science that gets co-opted by the right. And I think we need to like lay out the social context behind this. And, you know, I know everybody says like go into STEM, like STEM is the career to do it, but um, I really do mourn the loss of of more liberal arts education for a larger range of people because you can't just have science without considering the social implications of it. I mean, thanks for saying that because um, I always worry that, you know, invoking the essentialist versus what like constructivist or constructionist idea of gender identity and other kinds of identities Mm -hmm. is puts you back in some world of indeterminacy and relativism where I feel comfortable, but I know that it, you know, bugs the shit out of other people. (laughs) And, you know, the left is all over the place on this. They've, Mm -hmm. the nation has been particularly kind of intransigent on the subject of trans identity and mm-hmm. to es- essentialize trans identity is to is to reject the idea that there's some non-binary kind mm-hmm. of sexual I- identity right. um it seems counterproductive and it and it might have bad implications um i mean i just i think we're on the same page about elizabeth warren and 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 the rest of it essentially so um so tell me, let's get specific. So what do you know about Roger Severino, who's at the Office for Civil Rights at HHS? Yeah, so Severino came from the Heritage Foundation, um, but he has a very extensive uh, history of legal analysis when it comes to the sort of anti-trans side of this argument. Um, so I don't see any reason to believe um, that he wasn't appointed to that post specifically to implement a policy like this. Um, but just his track record just shows that he sort of hates trans people and he hates abortion. And that's sort of the one, two step of policies you see coming out of his office in particular. He could have been committed to civil rights, but seemingly he's committed to this this new kind of mm-hmm. pseudoscience. First, he needed to bash Obama in you know a commentary piece. He said Obama's expansion of gender identity was a culmination of a series of unilateral and frequently lawless administration attempts to impose a new definition of what it means to be a man or woman on the entire nation. What does that buy him? What does that get him to say that, aside from some always um, exciting Obama bashing? Yeah, I mean, this has been the line that comes from the general right, you know, for a while. Uh, David French wrote a piece for uh, the National Review yesterday that essentially repeated the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, uh, I question these people's grasp on judicial history because, like I said, dozens of courts going back have interpreted sex-based discrimination to protect trans people. So to call it lawless is just frankly inaccurate. There's a reason why why Severino was appointed to that position in the first place, and it's because he hates trans people and he hates abortion providers. Yeah. And I think so, mm-hmm. one thing that it frustrates me is, uh, especially with, like, sort of left-leaning media, like, um, not to call out your company, but Slate or the New York Times or whatnot, I don't think they take this topic seriously enough versus how seriously it's taken on the right. Um, I covered... The uh, Values Voters Summit um, a couple months ago, and they had two different plenaries devoted to fighting back against, quote unquote, gender ideology, breakout sessions, 
to, you know, talk about how to make sure your kid doesn't turn out trans, which is just kind of ridiculous to me. Um, huh. But then I turn around and I go to a place like Netroots and there wasn't a single trans panel there. There wasn't a single plenary uh, devoted to trans people there. And I think one speaker that I heard of uh, actually said the word trans, but, you know, that was it. And I, it's really concerning to me that so much energy is going into this on, on the extreme right. And it's just another thing for, you know, people on the left side of the political dial to just sort of hand ring when a new terrible policy comes out. But as we've seen, like people on the left have already forgotten about this issue or onto mm. the the um, migrant caravan now, which, you know, that deserves attention too. But we have to like stop letting the right set this agenda of attention for ourselves. I mean, don't you think, though, that the right would say this started with the left? I mean, it, you know, everyone f- always feels like they're acting in defense, in self-defense. Mm-hmm. So that's why the Defense of Marriage Act got its name and the idea of fighting gender ideology as mm-hmm. though there's been a rise on the left of certain people defining this issue. And I've even heard heard people complain that say, that the New York Times Magazine, since we're naming names, mm-hmm. had, you know, week after week of covers about transgender children or transgender people adopting children mm-hmm. or marriage or what trans rights might be. And then I think some on the left considered that that might have been a provocation. Now, that's not how I see it, mm-hmm. but I also want you to tell me what you think of that. I think it's kind of hogwash um, yeah. in the wake of uh, marriage equality becoming law of the land. The religious right just sort of didn't know what to do with themselves, and they wondered, you know, what was the next fight. And I really take it back to the referendum in Houston over the non-discrimination ordinance that the city had. And that's the first real instance of media attention being paid to trans issues, which, you know, for the longest time just sort of flew under the radar. Mm -hmm. Like states here and there would pass, you know, inclusivity bills. I used to live in Maine and they've had, you know, trans inclusive um, non-discrimination laws for employment and public accommodations for like a decade now, which you wouldn't expect from like a small rural state like Maine. But all of a sudden with Houston, it was no men in women's bathrooms. And that sort of launched the entire thing because they ended up winning that referendum. And then, like, literally weeks later, North Carolina passed HB2, which was the the infamous bathroom bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really when it was launched into the public consciousness uh, lately, I would say. Um, Mm -hmm. But trans people have always existed. Like, I'm a trans person and a parent. Like, I'm not the first trans parent. Like, Mm -hmm. trans parents did not get invented by Jill Soloway on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't think that this, like, our existence is inherently provocative. But I think a lot of people just don't pay enough attention to this to realize that, like, this is just simply a reaction to marriage equality. Um, and I think that it's important to to start piling up wins on this. And I wanted to point to hmm. the referendum in Massachusetts that's currently happening. Um, there's a, a a ballot question on whether or not they should roll back uh, transgender public accommodations rules that were passed like a, a year or two ago in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're likely to see this issue get an even bigger push from the right if they end up victorious in that Hmm. referendum because Hmm. 
that's exactly what we saw in Houston. And I think if that sort of law can be struck down in liberal Massachusetts, it can be struck down in any state in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would really put a lot of trans people uh, in danger. I don't think we provoked anybody really by existing. So I want to talk about prurience for a second, because why do people like Roger Severino care? I mean, we assume good faith or we assume partisanship Mm -hmm. on the part of these people. But there's something just especially nauseating about the commitment to I mean, just it was so eye popping to see that this HHS idea would allow people's bodies to be scrutinized. I just keep Mm -hmm. wondering why everyone wants to take off each other's clothes and or see what they're doing in the bedroom or the bathroom. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to speculate on Severino's like personal (laughs) uh, hangups when it comes to Mm -hmm. this stuff. Um, But he doesn't. He's not invoking religion. No, he's talking about science. Well, yeah, and that's a purposeful choice by um, the religious right. Actually, if you look at the very specific parts of their sort of messaging, they say you know trans rights can be defeated with feminist language. They see a lot of co-opting of feminist language to attack trans people. And there's actually Hmm. an organization called Hands Across the Aisle, which is a a literal alliance between radical feminists and like the most like misogynistic organizations on the religious right. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's actually a very conscious choice on the right not to invoke religion in this case. They're Hmm. they're trying to um, sort of divide and conquer the LGBT community You know, to the people who push back so hard on trans rights, I think a lot of it has to do with sort of their personal view of trans people. Like when they're presented with like a trans body, they, you know, oftentimes will will react with disgust. Um, And I think that's, you know, not a political thing. There's plenty of people on the left who are disgusted by the thought of like a naked trans woman. I mean... Mm. Like, if you look back, you mentioned the history of LGBT rights. Uh, If you look back to when um, Congress tried to get ENDA passed, which is the the federal LGBT employment protections bill, Mm -hmm. it failed to pass. But Barney Frank, who is uh, an openly gay uh, representative from Massachusetts, purposely removed trans people from the bill because... He uh, couldn't get over the thought of a trans woman's penis being in a women's shower. So this isn't a thing that's just confined. The right does a very good job of of designing their messages to sort of uh, invoke that sort of inherent disgust that so many cis people will have for trans bodies themselves. I know that the story at the New York Times is that they got this memo, this HHS memo sort of leaked to them or they managed to score it. But it does come at a time when Trump is issuing scattershot ideas meant to, you know, provoke pleasure or pain enough to get people Mm -hmm. to the polls at his rallies and elsewhere. So it's just like one hit after another of exploiting what my colleague, you know, Jamal Bowie calls cultural flashpoints or other people call cultural flashpoints, mm-hmm. which, you know, he says is is typically racism or some kind of gender mm-hmm. um, flamethrowing. And I want to also come back to your word disgust, because mm-hmm. in 
an MIT analysis of fake news, which I've invoked on this show many times, the fake news that has the most traction gets shock and disgust in the mm-hmm. equation. So um, you get um, pedo gate or, you know, the charge that Robert Mueller is a pedophile. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of invocations of taboos. Um, the idea that, you know, all Trump opponents are pedophiles or have are trans and to there's something powerful about that. Do mm-hmm. you think this is an, yet another effort to drop a bomb or, a you know, to get people back in that groove of the Democrats are disgusting, pervs, deviants, and we need to vote them, be sure they don't take over Congress? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's an election purpose to leaking the memo. Both sides would say that sort of these red state Democrats don't want to be talking about trans people in bathrooms. They want to be talking about health care, which I understand. And like I support winning your election at any cost, but it also doesn't make me feel very good as a trans American. My frustration with that is that that is predicated on an idea that Trump, with any decisiveness, won in 2016 and thus we know that Hillary's message, mm-hmm. like one thing we learned from that election is that Hillary was unsuccessful with voters. In fact, we learned exactly the opposite. You know, she won the popular vote in a landslide. Mm-hmm. And the most recent report says that Russians did change the outcome of the vote. So it seems as though we are, you know, being foolish, mm-hmm. saying we can, anal- you know, we should pay a lot of attention to the fact that like whatever Trump did was right because he won. Um, and um, and yeah. I'm not sure that that's the case. Yeah. But so, certainly Democrats have made that decision. So um, I'm glad you invoked 2016 because there's a point that I wanted to make. And that is if you look at North Carolina, the governor's race between Roy Cooper and um, the Republican former governor. I've already forgotten his name, which is like, this is a blessed day. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I won't remind you. Um, uh, Pat McCrory. If you look at that race, like no other race in the country so centered trans rights, right? Because it was in the wake of HB2. Uh-huh. And Cooper sort of was the face of the opposition to the law because very, really early on, he's like, I'm not going to enforce this as the state attorney general. So more than any other race in the country, that one centered trans rights. And also the North Carolina attorney general race that year was the same sort of deal. And it turns out that Cooper, the Democrat, won. And so did the Democratic candidate for attorney general. So I think it's sort of a mistake for the mainstream sort of media pundits to just Mm -hmm. assume that this is a losing issue in the South or in the Midwest for Democrats, especially when you had such a dismal election in 2016 for Democrats. And, Mm -hmm. you know, arguably your biggest governor's race win Mm -hmm. was essentially one on trans rights and a couple other local issues. Like, I don't think this is the losing issue that a lot of like the sort of both sides media pundits like to pretend that it is. Yeah. Um, So, you know, if if Trump thinks this is a winning electoral strategy, I think my analysis would sort of be bring it on and let's have that debate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. And um, your guy, your Republican... (laughs) Republican transphobe is named Pat McCrory, as you said. Oh, God, um, I haven't forgotten it yet. Yes, exactly. Need more well, therapy. It's, it's <laughs> um, I think we all do. Thank you so much for being here, Caitlin. Thank you so much.
And that's it for today's show. Now, I know you're gearing up to vote in the midterms, and that is ace. But there's one more thing you can do to save your country from barbarism, and it's support the free press. Now, by free, we mean liberated, not like gratis. I mean, it costs to make journalism as great as Slate and Trumpcast. So if you're truly a patriot, you got to join Slate Plus. It's Slate's membership program. You'll get Trumpcast ad-free, bonus episodes just for members, and more. To join, visit slate.com slash trumpcast plus. Our show today was produced by A.C. Valdez with help from Shirley Chan. John D. Domenico is, as always, our voice of Donald Trump. And I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.